Uh, hey, before we dive in, I want to just tell you, uh, we've been in a series called When Life Gives You Lemons, and I've been thinking about this sermon probably about three weeks, and uh, that hasn't made it any easier. Uh, when, you, when you dive into the text, there are just some times when you get to a part in Scripture that you just wrestle with. You just kind of, you look at it and you go, man, that's going to be tough. That, that, that is tough. There's some difficult things to wrestle with. And so I, I wanted to give you a heads up this morning that you may leave here going, man, I don't, really don't like Chris. And that's fine. That's cool. You can make that decision. You, what you should really make the, you know, this is God's word, not Chris's word. So don't get mad at me. Uh, you, sh- you know, you can get mad at God, I guess, if you want. But I would just recommend that you uh, listen to what he has to say uh, this morning. So we're going to dive in as we read the text earlier, First Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. We have a sweet neighbor in our neighborhood. My wife and I were blessed to move into a new house back in August. And we have a, a neighbor named Miss Martha. And she has just been a very kind-hearted person that has uh, really loved on our kids well, loved on our family well. And about a week ago, she came over to the house and she brought us some seeds. Some seeds for, I think it was some butternut squash and uh, some other sort of vegetable. And she gave us these seeds and so we started having a conversation with our kids like, hey, what, 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 what do seeds do? And well, you know, what's the purpose of seeds? And of course, my five-year-old knows exactly what seeds do. They, they grow vegetables or fruits or, or whatever. They, they grow grass. They grow all kinds of things. Um, obviously, my two-year-old, she doesn't even know words. So uh, that was a pointless conversation. But we started having a, a, a conversation with Micah about making sure you know what kind of seed you have. Because the important thing about knowing what kind of seed you have is you've got to know how to plant the seed, how to fertilize that soil, how to harvest the crop. And so if you plant a seed that you thought was one thing and it t- turned out to be another thing, you get a very different result. In, in my backyard, I have a, a difficult time growing grass for a couple of reasons. Number one, we're in the south, so it gets very hot. There's a, a southern heat that just comes, and if you have certain types of grass, uh, that grass is going to get burned up. It doesn't matter how much you water it, doesn't matter what you do, it's not going to withstand the heat in the summer. I have a second issue. I have a canopy of shade. So not only do I get high heat, but I don't get a whole lot of sun. And so I've got to make sure that when I plant grass seed, I choose a very specific seed that can take dense shade, that can take a lot of heat, and that can also take times of drought. There's a very specific shade, uh, a type of seed that I need, and there's a very specific type of action that I need to give that seed. I need to till the soil certain ways. I need to make sure that I plant the seed at certain times and it gets water at certain times. I need to tend that seed very differently than if I was to tend a different seed. Bermuda grass and fescue grass aren't the same things. And I'm not here to talk to you about grass this morning, but I am here to talk to you about seeds. In Luke chapter 8, verses 11 through 15, Jesus tells us the parable of the soils. And he says it like this. He says, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, they receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, they fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, there are those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. And as for that, in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast 
in an honest and good heart, and they bear fruit with patience. It matters what you plant and where you plant it. We can get very busy in our life thinking about all of the seeds that we plant. We can, we can till the soil. We can prep all of these things. We can even, t- you know, uh, we can even go after and, and make sure that we take the plant well. We can water it. We can put forth all the effort we want into tending to this seed, ensuring that it becomes the product that we want it to. But if we have planted the wrong seed, it will not matter. Because if you treat a seed one way, but it needs to be treated another way, it's not going to work. The title of my sermon this morning is When Life Gives You Lemons. Double check that you planted the right seed. When life gives you lemons, double check that you planted the right seed. So, We're going to dive right into the text, and really this morning, I'm just going to walk us through the text that I read earlier. So Peter begins, and he starts off with a very familiar word that we're all, if you've been going to church for any amount of time, you've heard this, you've probably heard pastors talk about it. It's an important word, therefore. Peter dives in, he says, therefore. Now, what that's there is so that he he wants you to know everything that I've said up until this point, don't forget it. Everything that I've said applies to what I'm about to say. It's extremely important. And so if you missed the first two weeks, I'd encourage you to go back on our website, piedmontchurch.net, and listen to what we talked about in those first two weeks. But in a nutshell, what Peter says is remember the living hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Remember it. Keep it at the forefront. Do not forget it. It is a living hope. Hope. It is not something that is just to be dreamt about. It is not a whim. It is a fact in our life that we have the living hope of Jesus. For all people who repent and put their faith in Jesus Christ, you have a hope that is solid, that is eternal, that is imperishable in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And he puts that word there. Therefore. Listen up. And then he says, Preparing your minds for action. Other translations would say, gird your loins. Now, if you don't know what this means, gird your loins is is kind of a a phrase back in the day. Men would wear these, we'll call them dresses, for lack of a better word. They would wear these dresses. So it would be like a tunic that they would wear across their whole body, and it was just one piece of fabric going down. And so to prepare, my mic just went out, to prepare themselves for battle, They would need to gird their loins. So what they would do is they would hike up their skirt, so to speak, and they would tie it off so that they would get ready for battle because it would be very difficult if that's as far as you could probably spread your legs in this tunic. You'd need to pull it up so you could get ready to knock somebody out. You know what I'm saying? You could get ready to fight. You could get ready to pull the sword. Whatever it was, gird your loins. Get ready for battle. Prepare the soil, in other words. You need to be ready. And he says, be ready in your minds. He doesn't just say, gird the loins physically. He says, be preparing your minds for this. Preparing your heart. Preparing, make sure that you know what's going on. Make sure you know the prize that is in front of you. So keep your eyes and your heart and your focus on Jesus, but get ready for a battle. And then he goes on, he says, be sober 
And then he fast forward a little bit and he says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. We all have different stories. You have come from one place. I have come from another place. We've all got different stories in our walks. Some of you know my story. I was raised in the Christian home. I was raised by a pastor. And I was really just a, 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 a bad kid throughout high school. I made poor decisions left and right. I was given the opportunity to go away to college and play football. But at that point, I was given the opportunity to go six and a half hours away from my family. But at that point, I was not ready for space. I, in many ways, I was an addict in some things. I'm not going to talk about that because we got kids in the house this morning. But I, I made some poor decisions. And I went away to college, and I essentially flunked out. And I come home, and I keep living the life that I was living. And, and most of you don't know this, but about three and a half months after being home, I, I, I found myself in the wrong place at the wrong time. I found myself being arrested for a felony. And, and so I'm taken to jail, and I get out of jail, and my dad makes me walk home from jail, which is several miles. I don't know how long it took me. It took me forever. And, and I finally get home, and I was scheduled to work that day. And so my dad says, what are you doing here? Get your butt to work. And nope, you're walking there too. Now, I lived far away from that as well, so I had to get to step, and so I walked to work. Nothing in my life changed immediately. I kept living my life like a dummy. I kept moving. A couple, couple months later, my dad invites me to go to a camp at the last minute with him. He was, he was a youth pastor at the time, and he needed a leader because the leader bailed on him at the, the 11th hour, and he said, I know your life ain't where it needs to be, but I need somebody 18 who's not going to let these kids die. So I get on the bus. I had partied the night before, really even the morning of. I get on this bus, I go to the camp, and about the third day into the camp, I pray to receive Christ. I come home, my life is drastically different. I had that whole 90s thing where you go home and like burn all your albums and all your CDs because it was just trash music I was listening to. I had those moments where friends would pick up the phone, they call me, and they say, hey, Chris, let's hang out. And I'm like, hey, bro, we can hang out, but I don't do X, Y, Z anymore. And immediately, and I get the dial tone. Life had changed dramatically for me in a very short amount of time. And I fast forward, I, I get into the relationship with, with my, my wife now, who spurs me on. She's a great Christian woman. She's moving me on. She didn't have everything figured out necessarily either, but she certainly wasn't me. And I'm moving forward with my life, and, and, and people that knew me to, back in high school see me today, and they go, that's Chris Barbie? That's the dude who's preaching? That's the dude who made the news for doing drive-in church? Like, who is this cat? And I think we have a tendency at times to look at people. I know I had this when I was younger. We'd look at people's stories like that, their testimony, and they go, wow, that, that person really went from death to life. They really went from addiction to freedom. They really went from bondage and chains to, broke, to, to complete freedom in Christ. And for those who don't have that story, I think sometimes we can find ourselves in a place of going, well, what did life... Kind of like when I got, I've been saved my whole life. Like I, I grew up in church. I didn't really have this, you know, addiction to non-addiction moment or this lack of, you know, changing of life. I just kind of grew up in the church. Everyone kind of knew me as the kid who went to church. My parents went to church. I probably got baptized when I was a single-digit age. Maybe I was 10, 11, 12, whatever it was. My wife has a very similar story to this. 
And when I'm having this conversation with her, I'm going, what does it mean for you? Because when, when, when Peter says, do not be conformed to your former ignorance, I get that. Like 100%, I 100% know what he's talking about. But for someone who grew up in the church, I ask her, like, hey, what does this mean to you? And she goes, well, Chris, what do you think it means to me? And I'm like, oh, you can't answer my question with a question. That's, what is this? And I, I said, well, here's what I, here's what I would, if someone came to me, because they have. I've had several people in my life come to me, Chris, this is my life. I got saved, but I don't really, I can't really recognize an external difference. Like, I mean, there's an internal difference, and certainly over time that plays out to external changes. But it wasn't like I went from this terrible thing to this great thing. And what I would say is the same power that raised the addict from death to life is the same power that took you from death to life. Now, the external might not have looked as intense, but at the end of the day, you were a sinner just as I was a sinner, separated from God because of the sin in my life, because of the sin in your life. And because that we put our faith in Jesus, we are now resurrected with Him again. We have given, been given this new life. So how do we work through this when, when Peter says, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance? Well, I want to tie this to his next phrase. Peter, Peter continues. And he shifts from this negative statement of don't do this. Like, don't be conformed. And he shifts it to a positive statement of be holy. Be holy. And I, I want to ask you a question. And this is something that I, I've wrestled with for, for many years. But it's something that I, I think is at the core of not just our church, but the church. Answer this question. What is the difference between a Christian and a Southerner? Like, think about our context. We're in Macon, Georgia. We're in the Bible Belt of America, the Southeast. What is the difference between a born-again, Bible-believing Christian and a Southerner? I think there, there's an aspect in our culture, in Southeastern culture in America, that kind of says, well, if you're a Southerner, you believe in Jesus. Now, I'm not saying everyone falls into this, but I'm just generally speaking. I mean, turn on your, your country radio, right? We, we have songs that declare, you know, going to church on Sundays and then cussing on them Mondays or something like that, some song like that. Like, we, we have this thing in our culture that it's perfectly acceptable to be a Christian and then to falter in different areas of our life. The church has been put, really, the church has put itself in a very difficult situation. Many of us have accepted mediocrity, and we've accepted grace without keeping our promise to God. Let me, let me if I was to stand up here and teach on, on church discipline, what would that mean to most of you? Like, what, what would that come across as? Would many of you even know what I was talking about? Would anyone agree with what church discipline is? And, and if you don't know, church, dis, church discipline is, is a biblical idea that it basically, it, it's been something that has been taught and modeled for years, and it's been modeled maybe imper, imper, imperfectly, but it's the idea that the brothers and sisters in Christ 
hold each other accountable to the level of be holy. Like if you have said you're a part of this fellowship, then what the fellowship of believers would do is that we would hold each other accountable in our life. Like we would ask you tough questions about how you're living. Not so that we could catch you in the wrong or you could catch me in the wrong, but so that we could build up the church. And I, I look at the church today and I go, how many times do we have churches that actually practice church discipline? And how many times do we have churches that actually lift each other up, lift brothers and sisters up out of sinful habits, out of sinful temptations? There's, there's a church in London of all places. It's, London, if you don't know, is kind of like this breeding ground for false doctrine and for atheism right now. It is a highly unchurched place. And they're, they're doing a series, a, a church that I, I, I look to a lot of times. I, I, I value their leadership. It's called Grace Life in London. And, and they're doing a series called How Serious Is Sin? And it came across my Instagram recently, and I thought, man, how serious do we think sin is in our culture? How serious do we believe that sin really affects our day in and day out life? See, I think we recognize sin. I think we certainly understand that sin separates us from God. But to a certain degree as a culture, I think we as the church has, have accepted some sins. I really, I do. And I'm not, I'm not saying you, I'm saying us, we. We turn the other cheek to each other's sins. Think about the movies that you watch. Think about the movies that I watch. We, 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 we turn on the television on Netflix and we stream through and we binge watch these shows and half of the shows that are available right now are TVMA. And then we talk about the shows. Have you seen this latest show right here? The most popular show in American history, in American TV, really probably in American history, in the last 20 years is a show called Game of Thrones. It's a filthy show. But I guarantee 50% at least in this room have probably watched it. Not a room, it's a parking lot. Thanks, team. Sorry. Like, I, I guarantee it. Like, I would bet if that was, like, you know, a good thing to do. It just happens. That's what we do. But as a Christian, should we watch it? Take it to another level. As a Christian, would we be ashamed if somebody else found out that we watched it? What about drinking to the point of excess? So there's some in the South that go, wow, drinking's you know, sin, you're going to hell. So some church have decided not to drink alcohol at all. You know, say, you shouldn't drink. That's not this church. We believe that, you know, there's nothing wrong with a glass of wine, a bottle of beer, whatever. But at what point do we take that glass of wine, that bottle of beer, and it turns into two, three, four, we didn't have lunch and so we go back to what Peter said, be sober-minded. And as the church, we go, wow, we got a lot of folks that have drinking issues. We have a lot of folks that drink too much. What about our language? Depending on the crowd that we're in, our language can get a little spicy. We go, oh, man, it's just the guys. Oh, man, it's just, it's just our friends. And, and don't, don't hear me say, Please don't hear me say this morning that I am without 
sin. This is not me looking at you with a speck in yours while I got a plank in mine necessarily. We're, we're, we're together. We are sinners. I'm not saying I'm guilty of everything I just talked about, but what I am saying is we are guilty of turning our cheek to sin in the church. And right here, Peter says, hey, you, you got a living hope in Jesus Christ? Be sober. Do not conform to the ways of your former ignorance. And those of you who have this story, who grew up in the church, who, who oh yeah, I've, I've been saved my whole life, and I would say do not be conformed to the world around you. Because that's what Scripture says in several other places. So if you don't know what your former ignorance is, I would say wake up and look at the world around you. Is there a difference between you as a Christ follower and the person that you work with who's not? Like, what's the difference? Because the church is called to be different. And let me tell you, I wrestled with this passage. I wrestled with this sermon for three weeks, and here's why. This is not like the encouraging COVID-19 passage that you're getting from every other church in America right now. It's not. Like, when I read this text, I go, wow, God, thanks, I appreciate that. Thank you for laying this directly smack dab on my heart. But here's what I do know. I know in the midst of isolation, in the midst of this pandemic that we're living in, we are tempted even more to indulge in some of these same sins that God's telling us to not be a part of. Like, we are tempted to, to view Netflix and Amazon Prime and movies left and right, and we're sitting at home bored, and so we might do things that we wouldn't normally do. And what I want you to know is that it's important that for you and I as the church to be the church and to look and to act differently. Because how we live our lives, how we communicate with people, how we do things will affect our testimony. Numbers 32.23 says, be sure your sins will find you out. I can tell you from that dumb moment when I was 18 years old and I got arrested for that felony, and I wasn't, I wasn't convicted of a felony, in case anybody's wondering. I'm not a felon, right? But from that moment, that has followed me through every job, through every serious relationship. I can remember working at, as a mechanic at a dealership, and there's always that question when you go get a new job, and they ask you, have you been convicted or charged with these things? Of course, I was not convicted, so I said no. But at that time, it hadn't been expunged from my record, and so it did come up with charged and so like three weeks into the job my boss comes out and he just wears me out in front of a bay of about 25 mechanics he calls me a liar and every other word under the sun and essentially tries to fire me right then i said whoa 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 whoa, whoa. i've never been convicted of anything i was in the wrong place wrong time you read the records and we go back and he looks and he goes oh yeah 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 okay you're good no apology no nothing and, and what i but what i'm bringing that up to say I'm, I'm, you know, that was over 10 years ago now. And yet, if I was to go to apply for a job tomorrow, I would still have to put that this is here. When I think, when I, when Amy and I talk about memories and, and back in high school, and she asked me questions, and I go, my high school memories are terrible because they're so, like, blotchy. I can't even necessarily make some of them out as normal. Be sure your sins will find you out. They follow you. They don't leave. Even when you're in Christ, this new creation, the things that we watch, the things that we do, they follow us. And so as you as a, new, as, a, as a Christ follower, as a new creation, what are you doing? And he goes on to say this. So he talks about 
all these things. Be, be sober-minded. Be holy. It says, since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed. A lot of times we, we get into a bad situation and we want to look at all of the external reasons why we're in this situation. And sometimes we need to double check the seed that we've planted. Because the seed that we planted may have been a seed of sin. It may have been a seed of addiction. It may have been a seed of bad decisions. Peter tells us right here that the seed that God has implanted in us is a seed of newness. It is a seed of creation. It is a seed of revelation. It is a seed of resurrection. It is imperishable. And so you and I are not fighting this world, the sins of our flesh, alone. God has instilled Himself inside you and me. And so when you find yourself falling into a place of sin, what I would encourage you to do, believer, is to look to God. To look to Him. Don't just grit your teeth and get all white-knuckled. Hit your knees and pray to the Lord. Fight for that relationship. Lean in to God. You are not doing this alone. God is with you. And what it means to follow Jesus is this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That is what it means to follow Jesus. To love God above every single thing in this world. And then to love people. Love God, love people. Love God, love people. Above everything else. Above that sin in your life over here. Above that sin in your life over there. Above that relationship. Above every single thing. Jesus is to be above it. All of it. When life begins to reveal to you some difficult situations, we have a tendency to look out there for the solution. Because there's the problem. The problem is this external thing. We preach sermons oftentimes in church talking about that. If you'll just change these things, if you'll, you'll look to God, He'll give you hope. And that's 100% true. But sometimes the problem is within you. It is. Sometimes you and I make dumb decisions, and instead of looking elsewhere for the answer, we need to look inside and go, maybe when life gave me lemons, I planted a lemon seed. Maybe I made the wrong choices. Maybe I'm still making the wrong choices. And I need to fix the choices by fixing my eyes on Jesus and making sure that He is the top thing in my life. The good news. So this is like that bad news, good news sermon. The bad news is everything I've kind of said to a certain degree. There's good news, like silver lining in it. The overall good news. Even when you and I make mistakes, even when you and I continue to make the bad decisions like Paul says in Romans 7, like the things I don't want to do, I'm doing. Even in those terrible moments, the grace of God abounds. 
Lean into Him. Lean into His ways, His person, and give Him praise. That's why we sang songs of praise this morning. Because I wanted to make sure that our hearts were ready to look at Jesus because when we have to hear a tough message, the best thing we can do is look to God. When I've got to sit down with my kids and have a tough discussion with my five-year-old because he's driving me nuts, sometimes I make sure he's in a good mood first. And I, I make sure that he knows, hey, you know, I love you, right? You know that, you know, yeah, 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 okay, now I've got to have a, a tough conversation with you. And so I'm hoping and praying that maybe there's some stuff in your life this week that you can repent of, that you can put your yoke on Him and take up His. Because His is light, His is easy, while yours is heavy and it wears you down. Jesus is ready. Are you ready to give it up? Let me pray. God, as hard as it is sometimes to hear about the areas that we fall short, the bad decisions that we make, Lord, I'm, I'm thankful that even in the midst of those, you are there. Even in the midst of punishment, you are right next to us. You exemplified that with the criminal on the cross. Even while he is paying a tax, a toll for what he made decisions for in this life, when he looked at you and repented, you said to him, I see you in my father's house. I see you in my father's house. Even the guy that wrote this letter, God, you told him he was going to deny you three times. He was going to make three decisions identically to each decision three times in a row. Boom, boom, boom. He's going to deny you three times in one night. And you still accept him. Not, not only did you accept him, but you built your church off of him. And so God, no matter what seeds that we plant, you have proven time and time again to come in and resurrect those dead seeds and give them the newness of life. Give them the seed that is imperishable, the seed of living hope. So that's my prayer this morning. That for each of us in this parking lot, as we sow seeds of discontent, of sin, God, that you will come in and you will make those right. That we will repent that we will acknowledge your sovereignty and your grace in all areas and that you will be our King, our Lord in our life. Not that stronghold, not that addiction. You are the chain breaker. You're the way maker. You make all things new. So God, I pray that that's where we will look at all times. We will not focus on our shortcomings, but we will forget them and we will drive on to you, through the power of your Holy Spirit. It's in your name I pray. Amen.